There are a few uh, few uh, sleepy eyelids out here this morning. So uh, many of us, or some of us at least, were at the uh, wedding of one Tucker Arnold and one Zoe Woods last night. It was a wonderful time. Zoe Arnold, but it was the wedding of Zoe Woods. I, uh, I sent Tuck a text about 45 minutes ago and asked him where he was. He didn't respond. <laughs> Commitment of the kids these days, you know? I mean, anyway, it was a great time, and we are so excited and blessed uh, by those guys and, and happy for them. So, as I mentioned, I, uh, I've not been with you in two weeks. I, I don't like being gone that long. I was with all the Vineyard Missions leaders in Colorado Springs, um, and then we did a, uh, a leader care weekend, tagged on to the end of that, which is sort of a re- little retreat. Donna came out and joined me uh, for that part of the event. It was really fun, but we had a very interesting experience in Colorado. A week ago today, last Sunday, we, were, uh, we, had, we went out in the afternoon. We were doing a, kind of a spiritual formation exercise. We were in a really beautiful place in Colorado Springs, retreat center there. And so we were out kind of doing a prayer walk. We're out walking, and it's, it was 81 degrees outside. It was like the perfect day. Crystal clear, blue skies, mountains. I mean, just, it was unbelievable. 81 degrees. The weather report said it was going to drop to 31 and snow overnight. We were flying out of Denver, which is about an hour and a half away. So as soon as our meeting was over in the afternoon, we start, took off. To Denver to kind of get ahead of the storm. And we're literally driving, and it, I've never had this before. I'm watching the temperature, and the, the car gives the little thermometer, you know, dropping, dropping, dropping. And it literally went 50 degrees in about six or seven hours from 81 to 31. We got to Denver, got checked into our hotel, and we're looking out the window, and there was just snow swirling, swirling. And by the time I got up in the morning, it was a foot of snow on the ground. It's the most amazing thing to see that kind of temperature shift happen that fast. But it was kind of fun. Anyway, uh, it's good to be here. I did miss you guys. I really, I sincerely mean that. I, I, I love being here. I love teaching. And I got home and, and started a Monday, we, or Tuesday, actually, started looking at uh, the passage for this week. For those of you that have not been here or have forgotten, we're doing a little series in the book of Ephesians. And I looked at the next passage in line, which for today... And I was a little disappointed. It's not the best passage in the book. And I was like, oh, man, I've been gone two weeks. I want something good, you know. And I looked at the next section right after this one for, that will be for next week. And it was, oh, man, it's so juicy. It was so good. And I thought for a minute, you know, I, I think I'll just skip this one and go right to that one. That was really, that was my plan for about a day. And then I kind of got a little bit convicted. I sort of thought, well, it is in the Bible. It's, it's got to be there for a reason. Is there not something we can get out of this? And so I'm going to do my best to take something that I think is maybe a little bit uh, confusing or doesn't seem to have context for us and see if we can't uh, pull some meaning for us out of that. But let's, let's pray that God will give me grace to do that first. Father, thanks so much for your word, and that we can look to your word, uh, we can grow, we can learn, and we can continue to be transformed into the image of your son, 
through that process. We ask you would just bless this time this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so with that, we're in Ephesians chapter 3 today, beginning in verse 1. This is about the first half of the chapter, I believe. So I'm going to read this. Uh, You can read with me, and then I'll see what we can get out of it. For this reason, which points back to the last chapter, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. And again, Paul is in prison here. Um, That's not a figure of speech. That's literal. We don't know where exactly he's imprisoned at this point, but he is in prison. And he says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of the power, His power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Okay, yeah, so as you can see, I I mean, that's a little complex, and probably most of you go, okay, what does that mean to me? So we'll, we'll see what we can come up with. Here's what I came up with. I thought that out of that passage, we might be able to come up. Theology is just what you believe about God in relationship to something. So in this case... Theology of, or what we believe about God in, re- in relationship to grace for ministry, in relationship to suffering, to revelation, and to unity. So four things uh, that I, I think we can uh, get from this. First is grace for ministry. As we mentioned in chapter 1 a couple weeks ago, we talked about grace and how oftentimes when we think about grace, we think of we're saved by grace, right? That's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. I'm saved by grace. Not by anything I did. It, it's something that God did for me. And while that is 100% totally true, it's not complete. And as I said before, we, we're not only saved by grace, but we live by grace. We really need God's grace for everything we do, just to get through life day by day, right? Anybody agree? Uh, but I, I think there's another context here that we can expand that even a little further and say that we need grace also to serve the Lord and to do ministry in His name. Um, back when, when we were young at the church Don and I grew up in, we, we had a, a, like a little a handbook, like a training manual for small group leaders. And you went through a class, and, and, but you had this, this training that you did for how to lead a small group. And in the back of that book, there was a section called EGR, Extra Grace Required. And it was a little section uh, that dealt specifically with 
how, how to help people in your group that might need a little extra grace. I don't know if any of you have ever encountered anybody in a small group or just in life in general, but someone that maybe just is, is really struggling, really having a hard time in life that might be maybe, maybe even a little bit difficult to deal with. Anyone ever had that experience? You guys are too young for that experience. No, I'm not, you, you're not at all. It happens. It happens all the time. People are different. We're all different, and sometimes there's a lot of grace required to do ministry. Uh, so, so Paul is writing this. He's an apostle. I'm a pastor. Uh, Stephen is a worship leader. Uh, but we're all called to minister, are we not? We, we're all called to serve God in some capacity, whatever that might be. And it could be any number of things, but no one escapes that. That's something that uh, every one of us as Christians is uh, to be involved in. And so what I would say is that grace comes with responsibility. It's, it's not just, oh, the grace of God, I, I'm so glad I'm forgiven of my sins. I'm so glad I'm, I'm free, I'm set free, I'm redeemed, I'm healed, whatever it is that God's done. Yes, those things are true, but that comes with a responsibility. It's not just those things have been given to you, but now because they've been given to you, you have something to do with that. Paul talks about the administration of grace here. What he's talking about, really, is being a manager of grace. Okay, uh, he, he's talking about how do we take the grace of God and distribute that appropriately among other people. Uh, when we receive grace, it doesn't end there. We then are responsible to help convey. We become conveyors of grace, distributors of grace, managers of grace. We, we help uh, other people come into uh, the, the place of knowing and receiving that as well. Grace... Um, connects us together as a body. It also empowers us for ministry. Without God's grace, I have no ability to do anything in Him, and nor do you. And furthermore, it releases us to do that. So it really is a powerful, powerful, um, powerful force inside our lives that's working. So the question to me in terms of ministry, the primary question should be, how can we, how can I, effectively demonstrate and distribute God's grace to people around me? That, that's, that's what we should uh, really be thinking about. It's not so much how do I teach this, how do I organize my Sunday school class, how do I distribute food to people, how do I lead worship, but how can I help convey God's grace to people that I have contact with day by day? Grace uh, ministry then becomes not something we do anymore, but it really becomes more of a truth that we convey to other people. Does that make sense to you guys? Uh, So it doesn't matter what aspect of ministry you are. It helps me sometimes to think about that. How can I convey God's grace to this person today? And that might not be even a formal setting. That might be, you know, at the grocery store or uh, my favorite Starbucks or whatever. Your store is my favorite Starbucks right now, by the way. Um, second point is, is suffering. Uh, you know, I, 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 this is a whole topic that I think at some point we will look at a little more in depth. Uh, but I want to I touch on it today as, as it relates to this passage. I believe this, that an understanding of the kingdom of God is so, so vital for us 
because it's the only way that life makes sense. It's the only way that life makes any sense. You know, we say here uh, quite often, God is good. When is God good? All the time. God's good all the time. If God's good all the time, how come my life sucks so much right now? Right? Do you ever, anybody ever had that thought? If God's good all the time, why am I in so much pain? Why is this so difficult? Why are these things happening to me? I mean, I, I don't get it. Uh, you know, I was told if I just give my life to Jesus and follow him, all my problems would go away. And that hasn't happened. Well, an understanding of the kingdom of God answers those questions. Paul understands what I call the paradox of the kingdom. The paradox of the kingdom is that we live in this place where those things are true and they're real and they're happening, but there's also other things happening and there's a tension that happens in our lives all the time. Paul says here and in other places that he he is a prisoner, but he's also been seated in the heavenly realms. So he's, he's in a heavenly place with God, but he's also in prison. He says, I am less than the least of God's people, but I've also been given this gift of divine revelation of who God is. He understands what it means to lose his life in order that he might gain his life. And he says in Romans, in one of the most, I believe, powerful statements in Scripture, I rejoice in my suffering. He lives in that tension of of understanding that Jesus has saved him, redeemed him, uh, that he's made him a new creation, he's filled him with his spirit, and at the same time, none of those things are finished. They're all in process. And in the interim, we trust that God, who began a good work in us, will bring it to completion. We understand that we live in a time when Jesus has come and his kingdom is here and it's real and it's active in our lives, but it's not yet been fulfilled. That day is yet to come, and someday all that will go away, I promise. No more tears, no more pain, no more any of that. It will all be done. But in the meantime, we experience the goodness of God all the time, but in the midst of that, we, all exp- we also experience some of the most challenging things uh, that life can throw our way. What I want to say to you this morning, I-, I think more than anything else, is simply this, that your suffering does not define you. Your suffering does not define you. Cancer does not define you. Grief does not define you. Financial hardship does not define you. Your own self-inflicted pain does not define you. Bankruptcy, divorce, rebellious children, whatever you might be going through does not define who you are. The only thing that defines you is the gospel of Jesus. And I think we need to rest in that, in the midst of our suffering. I, I appreciate this passage myself uh, because it deals not just with suffering in a, in a broader sense, but really specifically with suffering as it relates to ministry. And I want to let you in on a little secret. If you engage in ministry in your life on any level whatsoever, you will get hurt. Some, some of the... Uh, some of the most profound pain that I've experienced in my own life has been in the context of ministry. And, I, and I'm not talking about, okay, so there's, 
We talk about persecution, and we understand that there are places in the world today, this very day, where if you're a Christian, you, you can be imprisoned for your faith, you can be beaten for your faith, you can be killed for your faith. We don't experience that in our country. We have freedom to exercise our faith any way we want, and, and that, those things are not likely to happen. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking even about sometimes, I don't know, as, how many of you are, you know, kind of evangelistically oriented and, and you're... Uh, you know, out sharing your faith in the streets. I was, I, I was with uh, some of you remember Scott McNamara. I was here a few weeks ago or a few months ago actually, and he has this little card. He he goes out and just he he just randomly shares his faith with people, and it's amazing. He does that with incredible boldness, and he ends up leading a lot of people to Christ because because he's willing to share with a lot of people. But I, what he doesn't tell you is this: that about one out of three people goes, "That's stupid. That's the lamest thing I've ever heard." No, I don't want to know anything about that. And so you get that, and I, you know, there's a re- lot of rejection involved in that too. You've got to be pretty thick-skinned. But I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is in the context of relationship, when people you love uh, come up against you because you've done the right thing. I- I'm talking about when you pour your life into somebody, and they tell you, you know what, I, I'm going to leave the church because there's not enough single girls here, and I, I really need a date. Oh, you think that's funny. You pour your life into somebody, and they say, you know what, I'm going to leave and go to this other church with a big happening youth group, so my daughter will want to live with me and not my ex who's in Vancouver. But hey, you know what, you're still my pastor. You'll always be my pastor. This is just something I have to do right now. Thank you so much. There's pain in ministry. We're going to go through that. And the question is, why? So, so I've just made everyone decide, hey, I don't think I like this anymore. Um, why would anyone sign up for that? If you know you're going to get hurt going into something, why would you do it? I, I think Paul has... Two responses to that, and I share those. The first is this. It's a point of identification with the de- death and resurrection of Jesus on behalf of other people. Paul recognizes that Jesus suffered for us, and if Jesus suffered what he did for us, maybe it'll be okay for me to suffer what I suffer, which I can pretty much guarantee won't be anything close to what he did. The second thing, and maybe the most profound, is this, that the privilege of working with God and having access to God and the security of eternal relationship with God is greater than anything I might go through. He tells us that in Corinthians. He says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I really believe that whatever we go through, what we gain on the other side of that is better. And and I mean that not only in terms of our eternal security with him. But I mean it in this life, too. I've been in ministry for uh, almost 40 years, not quite. And I wouldn't do it any other way. Yeah, it's been hard at times. It's hurt at times. But it's been the most wonderful thing I could ever experience. I mean, last night, I'm just going to tell you. Uh, watching, I, I tried to get a picture pulled up, but I didn't do it quick enough. But watching Tuck and Zoe come up that aisle at the end when they're leaving their ceremony how excited they were. That's just so much joy. That's just so much joy. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. 
It, it's a precious, precious thing. All right. Revelation. Revelation is simply this. Uh, it's God making himself known. Okay, so that's what we mean by that. Um, the gospel is good news, right? We've heard that. Can I tell you this? It's not just a good idea. It's good news, but it's not just a good idea. It, it, it is a revelation. The only way that we really know the good news is when God reveals himself and makes himself known to us. Anybody had that experience? Where all of a sudden it became real to you. It wasn't just Jesus loves you. It was all of a sudden, no, Jesus loves me. It became real. God is a revelatory God. He wants to make himself known to you and I all the time. Verse 10 says, His intent was that now, today, through the church, us, the manifold or multifaceted wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? Um, This is what I think it means. I share with you in chapter 1, he talks about the heavenly realms a lot in this book, and that that doesn't just mean in heaven later. It really means in the spirit today. There's Life is, is, is happening on two levels all the time, on a natural level that you can see and on a kind of a spiritual level. And so this is what I think he means by the wisdom of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God, the plan of God being made known in the heavenly realms. I think it's this. I, th- I think it means that profit isn't the bottom line. That it means more to take care of people than it does to make a buck. I think it means that as God's people, we make decisions to live our life in a way that comes against institutionalized greed, institutionalized abuse, uh, institutionalized injustices towards other people. That we stand up for what's right. It means taking a, 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 taking a stand against systemic injustice. Taking a stand when we see those things. Every now and then you hear a story about a a whistleblower who came against some big corporation. And usually it's not a good story because they they inevitably get fired and sometimes get sued or whatever. But the truth is, they did what was right. I think that's what it means. I think it means breaking through uh, those, that spiritual realm of things that sometimes we just go, well, that's just the way it is. It's just corruption. Well, no, it's, it, it's not that. It means that as God reveals himself to us, we make that known by standing up for who he is and what's right. As he makes his grace and mercy known to us, we come against those things in this world that are counter to that. We become justice in an unjust world. And I think so, you go, I don't work for a major corporation, but I think you can do that in little ways every day. At school, at work, just with a, with a, you know, with a co-worker or an employee. You can say, there might be things that you see in that context that aren't right, and you go, I want to I do what I can do to make that right. I'm going to tell you, that will come at a cost. Uh, you might lose your job. I, you, know, you might lose a friend. But you know, what, you know what else will happen? And this is the thing. You'll make Jesus smile. I really think it honors God and it glorifies Him when we say, you know, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to reach out and help this person who's suffering injustice today. Last thing is theology of unity. Um, So, 
again here, the passage talks about Paul. So understand, Old Testament, right? Uh, Israel were the, was the people of God. Jews were people of God. Now Paul's saying, hey, what, I've, what I'm doing, what I've come here to do <coughs> is to let you know that, that now you can all be the people of God. Well, that doesn't have a lot of meaning to us today. The Gentiles have taken over the church, right? How many, are you guys Jewish? Anybody Jewish? No one. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, we, we, you know, we've taken over the church. So, so the whole Jew-Gentile thing has very little meaning to us. So <coughs> what, what might this mean in our context today? Here's what I think is this. little review. In the new heaven and the new earth, gathered around the throne of God, worshiping together, will be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, right? We know that. That's going to be the case. So, consequently, in this creation today, now, as we allow the image of God to be formed in us and God's purposes to be manifest through us, we should also uh, be open to and, and pressing into worshiping with every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and when we do that, we advance God's kingdom. And so here, here's what I, I would say that means to us today, is we cannot allow cultural or ethnic differences to define the church. We cannot allow cultural or ethnic differences to define the church. I'm sorry, but God is not a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. And this may come as a surprise to some of you, but God is not an American. He's not anti-American, but he's not an American. And if you think for a minute that God loves you or loves us or loves this country more than he loves people in Africa or Latin America or the Middle East, then I would suggest graciously that you turn off the news and review what your Bible says. We are, we are called as God's people to live unity. That, that is not an option. That is not uh, an add-on. That, that is not something that is sort of something we might think about or, you know, I live my life this way and maybe we'll get engaged in unity at some point. No, that's not an afterthought. It's not an addendum. It's the heart of Christianity. It's the end game. That's what this is all about. We can't afford to not press in the presence of God in unity with other people. So, uh, there you go. That's the best I could do with this passage. Uh, can we learn anything from a passage like this that seems to be out of context for us today? <coughs> I think, <coughs> sorry, I think we can learn this. One, God has a plan. God has a plan. He's making the plan known to us, and he's including us in working the plan. He wants you and I to be part of working the plan. That's what we can learn from this passage. Won't always be easy, won't always be fun, but it'll be worth it in the end. I think that's the point that Paul's making in these first few verses of Ephesians 3. So let's stand and um, Stephen, why don't you come on?